But would the discussion be on crypto if we didn't talk a little bit about Sam Bankman-Fried? Vandross is going to enlighten us on what went wrong and how to protect yourself. Take a listen. So before we, because I do want to spend some time talking about how how can we use this in business? You know, everything yes. from transactions all the way up to merger and acquisition, sales of business and whatnot. But before we go there, because I know somebody is going to ask this if we don't touch on it. How do you protect yourself from the Sam Bankman Freeds of the world? Because I think there's been yeah. there's been a kink in the armor there where, you know, this whole crypto thing is blowing up. He was the, the star child for it all. And then we realized it was a house of cards and a lot of people lost lost their digital currency off that. So how do you protect yourself? Yeah, so you, you, to protect yourself, you first need to educate yourself, right? So you, you, I think a lot of people, yes, you can make a lot of money in the market, but the first thing that I always prioritize, especially to my clients, is safety, right? If you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how to be safe, how to protect yourself, understanding cybersecurity, understanding phishing, understanding how what what exactly the system is and what you're getting into, right? So because what you're essentially doing is you want to buy cryptocurrency, so you're going to a brokerage, right? And that brokerage is basically facilitating the transfers and trade of cryptocurrencies, right? Um, and it's basically creating a market, right, where people are buying and selling. And the, the difference is you don't know what if what they're telling you in terms of how liquid they are is true. You don't know if they're intermingling with co customer funds or not. It all depends on the government governmental body, right, that's basically supposed to be inspecting these things. The thing is, you need to understand, okay, then where is that business located, right? That business was located in the Bahamas, right, with, with FTX. So it's you got to understand, okay, then who has jurisdiction, right? And so then you need to understand, okay, how thorough are they in their inspection process? And you need to understand the entire point of crypto is self-custody, right? So it's in the word exchange. You're supposed to go there, exchange your fiat for crypto, and then remove it off of the exchange and then self-custody it into your own private wallet. And that's the that's the, the basically another value proposition of cryptocurrency is you can store your own value yourself. It's kind of like the way I describe it of a safe, a real physical safe, but put digitally, right? So you have your own safe, but digitally that only you have the keys to and nobody can get access to him. So no matter what, they can't get access to it. There's no username and password. You simply just go on, on the internet, download a digital wallet. It will give you a seed phrase. So it's not gonna ask you for KYC information. It will give you a seed phrase or air quotations, a password, and it usually be 12 to 24 words. You write those uh, letters down and you keep that stored somewhere safe where nobody can touch it. And then after that, you have your own digital wallet. You buy your crypto on FTX, Binance, whatever exchange. You then take that crypto and put it on the digital wallet. And then no one else has access to it but you. So in the case of the event that FTX goes to, goes to for lack of a better word, shit, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that at all because you were smart and you took your value and, and held it yourself instead of uh, giving someone else the responsibility of it. Because what's happening is, you're trying to make these exchanges become kind of like banks. So I kind of call it web 2.5, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's not web three. It's not crypto. It's just, they, they are how they run their business. That's another thing. You know, that's not crypto related. That's just a person that had a really bad business and was intermingling customer funds. 
and was gambling with customer funds. And um, yeah, was using that. It was a complete huge scam. Um, so they were saying they weren't intermingling with customer funds. And what they were doing was they were taking customer funds from the back end. And then they were loaning it out to their investment arm, which was Alameda Research. And Alameda Research was gambling those funds on the market, losing it all. <laughs> and then uh, they, were, they kept repeating the process. And then they faked the liquidity that they had because they printed their own token. <laughs> you know, so they, they told them, hey, we have this amount of FTX tokens on our balance sheet, which reciprocates to this much amount of market value. So give us liquidity. So then they borrowed more money from other uh, investments, other VCs, other investment uh, vehicles. And then they never paid those people back. And it started this huge uh, compounding effect. And it, it was a Ponzi at the end of the day. It was a complete Ponzi. And um, it was a poorly ran business. And um, that's what happened with FTX. But it's not crypto. Yes, the business that they were doing was the buy and sell of crypto. But they could have been doing buy and sell stocks and then intermingling with customer funds in the back end with that too as well. You know, so um, this is why I prefer, you know, things more decentralized, decentralized finance, personal sovereignty, and you take your value and hold it yourself. That's a great way to explain it. I think that's what a lot of people didn't understand about the whole FTX thing is that they were holding the crypto. It wasn't in your hands. It was in their hands. And it's like a brokerage firm. You're expecting them to invest it wisely. They did not. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing that people thought that the digits on their screen is the same as the bank. They literally were operating as a bank. They had they were operating on very few percents of liquidity. The rest of it that they were they were gambling with customer funds with, but except they didn't have authority to do so. Right. Right. <laughs> and so that's what happened with FTX. So it's not crypto. Yes, crypto gets the bad the bad name. And it's super unfortunate because uh, there's a lot of people that are building. There's a lot of brilliant minds in crypto. They're actually building really, really cool stuff that solves a lot of problems um, and streamlines a lot of processes um, for businesses and for customers. But then, you know, you get the bad apples and then those ones are the ones that get the headlines, you know, and that's what the mainstream media is going, is going to push is, oh, crypto's bad and crypto's this, but that Bitcoin's still operating perfectly fine. The network didn't change, you know, it's, it's completely decentralized, you know, so it has nothing to do in, with FTX other than FTX bought a large amount of Bitcoin to supply to customers to start an exchange. That's it. Got it. Well, let's kind of shift subjects a little bit. We're not going to switch subjects, but we're going to shift them over. Um, how do we use this in business? How is this going to be effective for, say, a manufacturing company that's trying to sell widgets going to something like digital currency to, to you know, kind of manage their sales and their profit? Yeah. So what I would say is it's first and foremost, the, the tokenization model is not for every business, but for some businesses, it can be really, really strategic, you know, and where you can leverage different, there's different, so there's so many different models, you know, one of them that comes to mind for me in industry that I think can be a little bit revolutionized is the gaming industry, right? That's one of them that I, I really, really look and see, it just makes perfect sense because in the gaming sector, if you, if you really understand and study the gaming sector, they're already using tokenization models. The only difference is those uh, in-game tokens stay in-game. So what if we could encrypt those tokens on-chain, allow people for the buy and sell of assets in the, in the video game? For instance, people buy skins in a video game. They buy different um, weapons and 
and different types of things within the video game to to help uh, their character, level up their character and stuff. The problem that you have in the video game industry, for instance, if you look at the fact that, okay, I started a character, he's at level zero, and then he gets to level, let's say, 100. And then the you beat the game, then you can't rent that character out to somebody else and, and make money. You can't sell that character. You, you just have to buy a new game. And so you just become a uh, you become exit liquidity for the video game uh, company right <laughs> at the end of the day because you, that that's essentially what you are but if you could tokenize the the assets within the game make them into nfts say for instance you could create an entire digitalized economy right to where okay i can rent out my game when i'm not playing my video game anymore or rent out my um not just my game but also my video game character i can i can sell different items and stuff that i'm getting within the video game and to other people, you know, that are very rare items that only a select amount of people have because you have these type of things in video games. So that right there would create an entire economy, right? Using if you could put everything on chain and allow people then to create entire economies around the video game. And then you can, for instance, say, for instance, you have a lot of people that are in this video game. Say, to, say there's uh, one million people playing this video game, MMORPG. And let's say you have a lot of people, a lot of traffic in particular areas in the video game. What if you could buy land within the video game and pitch it to advertisers to advertise the their whatever it is that they're selling on the video game? You know what I mean? As, mm -hmm. as, a, as a way in which, and this right there could create and generate revenue for you. You could still play the game normally, but you, you buy land in strategic areas where there's a lot of traffic and people maybe can stop, maybe do some e-commerce, you know, and this is the idea of the metaverse, you know, of trying to integrate these gamification models into, you know, these tokenization models and mix them together and make it immersive. So this is one area that I think for sure. And also, if you look at um, a lot of influencers, right? Um, one one way in which I think um, there's a couple ways. Let me before I get to the influencers, there's another way too as well with NFTs, right? For those who don't know, those are non fungible tokens, right? And those are also can be minted or um, for layman's terms, published on chain, right? And you could strategically use NFTs as a way in which people can buy real estate. What's the issue with real estate right now? Well, the, the assets are through the roof, right? It's so expensive for my generation to buy to buy real estate property. It was once what I think this is an unpopular opinion, but I think it was a great investment for you guys' generation. But I think for our generation, I just don't see it as a, as a viable and our generation also we're, we're a little bit more mobile too as well because of globalization. So I'm not saying not to buy real estate, but I'm saying get your network to a certain level and then start looking into real estate. But right now, let's say you, you want to buy a $500,000 property. You would need to put what, let's say 20% down. So you need to have hundred thousand dollars cash, right? Um, not so many people are that liquid. You know, if you look at statistics of the amount of savings people have within my generation, it's not that many people to have $100,000 liquid cash, you know, to be able to invest in a half a million dollar um, property. So what you could do is you could tokenize the real estate, right? And you could, let's say, uh, make it into fifths. So $100,000 for five different people and they all have access to the real estate and then they leverage the real estate as a rental property. And that way you only need $100,000 of responsibility. You could then get uh, 20%, right, for the down payment. And so that's $20,000. That's something that's more sustainable. <laughs> it's right. something that's more realistic for, for our generation. And 
and also you could open it up to global liquidity. This is the main value proposition here, right? Because if you have your property and it's listed, let's say in the States, but you, you basically tokenize it and now you can, anyone can have access to Ethereum, right? But not everyone can have access to US dollars, you know? So if they can buy the NFT, then whatever yield you get, you generate from that property can go directly. You can swap that directly into uh, tokens and quickly distribute it out to the people who hold it, the, the NFT holders. And so it's a new form of business model that can be used in leverage. So this is another way in which I think um, you, you could use it. All right. Be sure to check out our fifth and final segment with Vandros coming up soon.